Well, good evening. You guys doing well? Good. This evening, we continue in our series of studies in uh, 1 Peter. We're in chapter 2, verse 13, and we actually now find ourselves in what is the second part of this short book, not a real long uh, letter that Peter wrote, the first letter uh, of the two that he wrote. But we've gotten to verse 13 of chapter 2, and and in the first section of the book, after the introduction, we saw the theme was salvation in Christ. Salvation in Christ. We now get into the second of the three themes, which is submission in Christ. Submission in Christ. And so we're going to be looking at, over the next few weeks, the different ways that Peter calls those within the church, Christian brothers and sisters, to submit to various different uh, like, for example, the government, uh, to, to your employers, uh, to spouses, and to one another. And so we're going to look probably about four lessons in this subject of submission. And uh, it's an, a really misunderstood concept, the, the concept of submission. Of course, we always submit to God first and then to the governing authorities and, and others as well. But as we get started this evening, I'm going to take uh, a little time. We're going to look at verses 13 through 17. And we're also going to look at a parallel passage in Romans 13, uh, because that helps us to sort of unpack what is our theme this evening, is submitting to your authority. So with that, let's open in a word of prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time of worship and fellowship, and we now ask, as we're in your word, that we would hear from you. We desire to learn, but we also desire to grow and apply these lessons to our hearts and to our lives. We ask by your Spirit's power that you would help us to do that, You do that work by the power of your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Let's look just at verses 13 and 14, and we'll break into this. We're going to see that there are three reasons why Peter says it's right to submit to our authority. And the first is is that we do it for the Lord's sake. And he says it this way in verses 13 through 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. This gives a very broad perspective on submission to our authorities, which is, in general, under nearly every circumstance, we are simply called to submit to our authority. And as we look, and I'm going to ask you to turn there with me, I I don't actually do this very often, but those two verses are uh, sort of a summary of what a larger section of Romans 13 deals with. So I thought we'd look at that section, it's about uh, seven or or eight verses, seven verses actually, uh, in in Romans chapter 13. So we're going to look at that as we unpack those two verses that we just read. We do this, we submit to our authority, and we submit to the government— In particular, that's what we're talking about this evening, to the government. We submit to the government, we do it for the Lord's sake. And I really think that generally, under most circumstances, in in most situations, for us today, and for Christians of all ages, we should look to submit to the government. We're not looking to be revolutionaries. Now, of course, you'll remember when our country was founded, in the 1700s, there was a revolution. And some over the centuries have debated whether that revolution was was a good thing or a bad thing. I happen to think it was a good thing. Uh, But there were problems between the colonists who were British citizens, citizens of England, and the king, King George III, and, and others who were looking to cause problems. And there was a real issue and ultimately a war. And that war was in many ways, was a revolution, is exactly what it was. It was kind of like a civil war in many ways. It was a revolution. And a number of historians have looked at that and and, and squared it up with the Bible and said, what were they really appropriate in what they did? And I guess that's a, a subject for another time, a debate. But in general, we're always looking to submit to our authority because that authority is established by God. There are exceptions to that rule. And the clearest one, of course, is when the rules and the laws of man come into direct conflict with the laws of God. And uh, that's not our focus tonight, but I I will mention that as we go through this. Let's look at Romans 13, verse 1. Just going to look at that first verse. 
Paul adds a lot to this when he says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He repeated that twice. God has established the authority that we're under even today. Now, that does not mean that all of our established authorities are godly. Okay, let's, let's be clear. It doesn't mean that our established authority is godly. It just means that God has ordained and allowed the established authority. Don't get confused by that. We're not suggesting that anything this current administration or any other administration has suggested is necessarily in and of itself godly because God has ordained the authority. We have to discern what things are godly and ungodly according to God's word. But the authority itself is established by God. We're not looking to be revolutionaries and overthrow our government. That's generally the rule. Now, God has established all authority, according to Romans 13.1. Submission to governing authorities does apply to everyone. There are no exceptions, okay? Even when we disagree with our authority, we are still to submit. Now, I'm going to encourage you during the week, rest of this week, to look at Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. When the apostles had to listen to the command of God, and it was in direct conflict with the authorities edict to not do that they said you have to judge and figure out what's right or what's wrong as far as we're concerned we would have no other choice but to follow God and and as they made that decision they recognized there would be consequences for their civil disobedience but they were respectful to their authorities they didn't try to overthrow their authority They simply recognized there came a point when they could no longer follow the edict or commands of their authority because they came in conflict with God's word and God's direct word and revelation to them. So Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5 have some examples of this. We'll be looking at that over the next few weeks on Sunday morning. But even when we disagree with our authority, we're still called to submit. We can choose civil disobedience and protest on matters of personal conscience or matters of God's word, we can do that. And in our country today, we certainly have the freedom to do that to some degree. Uh, Civil disobedience is an acceptable response when you're being told to do something that you disagree with or you feel violates your conscience or violates the word of God. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean you're looking to overthrow your authority. Okay? Uh, You know, an example of that would be that, you know, it's a great thing to protest when you feel strongly about uh, a a concept or a a law that you don't like or do like, uh, some element of our government. Uh, You can certainly protest, but the minute it turns into an insurrection, a rebellion, a revolution, or a terrorist act, it is no longer godly. It is that simple, and we certainly saw a lot of that over this last year. Uh, far too much of it on the left, and then, you know, one particular day, one day, I guess it was January 6th, right? One day on the right, the far right, and, you know, that seems to get all the airplay, not the months and months and months and months of protest on the left throughout the entire 2020, but that's just the spin of the media. But in either case, I think we need to embrace and understand we're called to submit. We should also expect to be punished as we submit to the required penalty. So, for example, If you, as a matter of conscience, and I really don't think this is a valid point. We'll see that Paul gets to it. Let's say you don't want to pay your taxes. Now, again, in that situation, the scripture tells us what to do. So you're really not on good footing to say, well, I I have a conviction about not paying my taxes. Well, if you do have a conviction, which I think is misguided, you will more than likely be fined, possibly face jail time. And if your conscience is clean in accepting that punishment and submitting to that authority and receiving that punishment, I guess that's between you and the Lord. But I would say that the scripture is clear that that's not a valid point of contention. Conversely, I think about the apostles in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5. They were told by the Holy Spirit, God himself, to go out and to preach the gospel. The Sanhedrin arrested them, brought them before them, and told them not to do that. And they said, we have to rather obey the words of God than the words of men. And they were beaten, and they were jailed, and they were punished. Ultimately, Stephen was put to death. 
So let's understand, there are penalties for civil disobedience. That's not to say that they didn't do the right thing. They clearly needed to obey God. But when martyrs have been punished and suffer the consequences of their civil disobedience, of standing up for God and his word and matters of conscience, they also submitted to the authorities in that they accepted the punishment. So in a way, that's, that's submitting to your authority. You can't bow down, but you can not rebel. Are you with me? And so there are good examples. The apostles were never rebellious. But when it came to obeying God versus obeying the charges and the commands of the Sanhedrin, they, they didn't even have to think about how they were going to behave. So I think sometimes we can take our matters of conscience and the word of God too far and justify rebellion when in fact the scripture is very clear. That's why I'm going to Romans 13, that that is not justifiable. It's not, not really. And even the most oppressive and abusing regimes are established by God. The New Testament was written during the time of the Caesars, and specifically Caesar Nero, Hadrian, others. And you know something? They were far more oppressive than any government we have ever lived under here in this country. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind, okay? It's not about overthrowing the government. It's about standing for the word of God, and if necessary... Submitting to the punishment for standing for the word of God. And that's, we saw that in the 60s, not us maybe necessarily ourselves, but uh, our, our culture saw in the 60s what happened when people stood up in the civil rights movement. Unfortunately, they suffered sometimes death. Sometimes they were beaten. Sometimes they were jailed and mistreated. But they were standing up for what was right. And as a result, they suffered the consequences. And ultimately, Things changed, and that's a good thing. But just understand, when, you, when, when a law says that a person of a particular skin color or ethnic group can't do something, and you feel, rightfully, that that's a wrong law, but it's still the law, and you choose to be civilly disobedient, you're going to suffer the consequences unless that law, and until that law is changed. And that's exactly what Dr. Martin Luther King did in the civil rights movement. Very, very, very different than some of the left-wing movements that so-called are standing for civil rights today. In fact, they're quite the contrary. They believe in destruction and, and, uh, and, and really hurting people. And there is no justification for those movements today or at any time. Or for right-wing movements that do the same. So God is in control over every controlling empire. And he can set up kings and dispose them according to Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. God is the one that establishes all authority, and he can set up kings, bad kings, good kings, decent kings, immoral kings. He is the one in charge of that. It's his earth and his planet, and he allows for those things. And you might be thinking like I am, well, what about Adolf Hitler? What about Benito Mussolini? What about the uh, Islamic Revolution in 1979? What about some of these incredibly oppressive governments like... uh, uh, the Putin government, you know, in, the, in what is becoming more and more uh, the Soviet Union reborn. Uh, what about that? Well, God has established all authority. There are no exceptions to that, but it doesn't mean that the authority is godly. Now, Peter and Paul both taught that even Nero's empire was established by God. And you might find that surprising. Why weren't the first century Christians concerned with governmental reform? Why weren't they looking to bring about a rebellion? Why, why was that? Well, first of all, it wasn't what God had called them to do. It would have been wrong because God hadn't called them to do that. He called them to preach the gospel and save souls within the confines and within the structure that they were called. They were not called to overthrow the government. Another major factor is their enemies, including the Sanhedrin Uh, made these accusations against them. Specifically, they made them against Jesus. In Luke's gospel, we see that. They tried to paint him as a revolutionary who didn't want to pay taxes to Caesar and wanted to cause a slave rebellion. And those were false charges. And the truth is there were slave rebellions. There were revolutions. Those things did ultimately happen, but not because of Christians. It wasn't supposed to be that way at all. So as I think about that, I think, wow, you know, they taught to work within the confines of their authority and that all authority was established by God. 
So when you look at these evil, wicked regimes, it's, it's hard to understand that. But the first century church were looking to have a good testimony, as we talked about last week. Uh, we, we, we talked about this um, back in, I'm just going to turn it for a second, back in First Peter in chapter 2. Uh, it said in verse 12, the previous verse uh, to tonight's study, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, which they did, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. They were more concerned about the kingdom of heaven than the kingdoms of men. And so their concern was that if, if we're viewed as a revolutionary movement, if we're looked at as troublemakers who want to free all the slaves, which of course they didn't believe in slavery as, as, as a right way to live, but it was a, a fact of life. And if they had come out and made that the agenda to, to free the slaves in Rome, some six million possibly, uh, they would have been exterminated. Uh, that, that, was, that was not going to happen at that time. Uh, not saying it was right, I'm just saying that it wasn't going to happen. But they were being accused of being revolutionaries. So if they even gave the appearance of being revolutionaries or teaching that you should defy the government, not only would they have been wiped out probably pretty quickly, and it would have caused problems, and not only wasn't it what God had called them to do, it would have sullied their reputation. It would have made preaching the gospel incredibly difficult, if not impossible, in that world. So they put aside some of the things that perhaps were distasteful to them and may be distasteful to us, because the gospel and preaching the gospel was more important than social issues. It was more important than the issues that they had with their authority. They put those things aside to live good lives in order to have a good reputation with the pagans that they might save them or bring them to salvation in Jesus Christ. So I want you to see why they put their rights aside and why those things weren't their primary focus, because the gospel was their primary focus. And so Paul, Peter, others make a a point to say, look, we want to be known as good citizens. We want to be known as those that are not looking to cause trouble. Rome, as a matter of principle, justified their conquering the world as bringing civilization to uncivilized nations. They believed that what justified their dominating and controlling the whole world is that they brought law and order to people who didn't have it. And believe it or not, living among the barbarians was no better, where people could just come into your village and kill everyone and and raid the villages. So when Rome came in, they were a stabilizing force. I'm not saying that the government was a good government. I'm saying they were a stabilizing force. They brought more freedom than any other governments had. And so when you think about it, it was in the interest of the early church to submit to their governing authorities and preach the gospel without causing trouble. So I'm giving you a little historical perspective, cultural perspective, so that you understand why the New Testament writers didn't talk about slavery as an issue. It doesn't mean that slavery was good or that they believed in it. It's just that they didn't want those issues to get in the way of preaching the gospel, okay? And then in addition to that, you have the issues of uh, not rebelling and being good citizens because the pagans would not listen to anyone who was trying to cause a rebellion or be a revolutionary. That was just never going to happen. Okay, so now that we understand that, We know that rebelling against God's institution will bring punishment. And we get back to Romans chapter 12, excuse me, 13, uh, in the second verse. This is what Paul says. He says, consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And so Paul makes that clear. You're going to suffer the consequences of rebellion. This isn't our gospel message. Neither is vengeance. Vengeance, that is not what we're called to, and we're not called to revolution. And rebelling against God's institution will bring punishment. Certainly, we must rebel. Listen, we must. We must rebel rather than break God's laws. Are you with me? If tomorrow they say we can't gather, they they try to overturn the First Amendment, let's say, uh, there's no way we're not going to gather. But we're going to suffer the consequences. Just understand that. You know, you can't say, oh, God, don't let me suffer the consequences, because we are going to suffer the consequences of obeying or disobeying our authority in order to obey God. That's just going to happen, and we should expect it. In fact, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were being told they had to bow down to an idol, 
which was not only distasteful, but would have been breaking God's law. So here they are under the authority, a pagan authority, and they just can't. As far as we know, they obeyed every other law they were ever called to obey, but now it just went too far. And so they have to bow down and they say, no, you know, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not even careful how we answer. Our God is able to deliver us. We will not bow. And so they didn't launch like a, a revolt and a revolution and raise up an army and start blowing up buildings and stuff. No, they, they submitted and they trusted God and they were put into the fiery furnace, as you all probably know from Sunday school. And there was another in the fire like that song we sing. And God delivered them. But they trusted God. I think of Daniel. Remember Daniel? We should expect to be punished for our disobedience, even when that disobedience is obeying God. Daniel, they, they made a law specifically, like they do today. They make laws specifically to target certain groups of people they don't like, right? So Daniel was the person they didn't like. They passed a law that said you can't pray to any other God, All right? So what does he do? does what he always did. Three times a day, with the windows open, he prays. And of course, those that were after him and wrote these laws specifically to entrap him, well, they caught him. And what did they do? They threw him in the lion's den, remember? Well, what happened in the lion's den? The same thing that happened for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He obeyed God, and God spared him the consequences. Now, God didn't have to. He may have been martyred, but he trusted God, and God delivered him. Listen, if our authority is wrong... We must first appeal to God. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, and that's what Daniel did, and that's what we must do, and then submit to the authorities. But there's no way we're bowing to that idol. There's no way we're not going to pray to God, right? So when and if, and I hope it's an if and not a when, our culture, our government, or our authority says, you know, they pass a law that specifically says some of the things that they would love to do and perhaps will try to do, uh, for example, and I'm going to use two examples. I mean, the first example would be, you can't go to church on Sunday. Well, you know, if they burn all the churches, it doesn't matter. We're, we're just going to go to the park then, right? We're going to continue. We're still going to be the church of Jesus Christ, right? Now, it's funny because let's say, and this is where it gets a little dicey, right? Let's say they legally, legally uh, revoke the Second Amendment, and you're no longer able to have a firearm. Now, at that point, to obey the authority would be not to have a firearm. But if it's a matter of conscience, you better be prepared to deal with the consequences. However, the Bible doesn't guarantee us rights to have a firearm. That's the Constitution of the United States. The First Amendment is a, is a constitutional amendment as well. That guarantees the right of worship, but the Bible demands worship of God. Are you with me? It doesn't demand that we own guns. I happen to believe in all of the Bill of Rights, but... Just don't think that just because you don't like something that that necessarily gives you a right to disobey, okay? In the case of worship, of course, we worship God and him alone, amen? It's like a, a catechism there. We worship God and him, him alone. So understand the differences there, okay? I'm trying to discern this here for you and dissect it so you can understand how to apply this as we go into a more oppressive culture toward Christianity, and I hope it doesn't last long, but as these, as these laws change and some of these things are revoked, you, you're going to have to look at God's word and say, God's word says I, I have to worship God and pray to no one else. And that, that's just non-negotiable. That's non-negotiable. We gather as a church. It's non-negotiable. Okay? That we pray. Non-negotiable. Read God's word. Oh, you can't have a Bible. Well, guess what? That's just, you know, that's too far. This is God's word. You know? We're told to be in God's word, to meditate on it day and night. So anyway, expect to be punished for your disobedience like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if your authority is wrong, first appeal to God. Let's look a little further into Romans verses 3 through 5 of that same chapter, chapter 13. Paul goes on to say, For the rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you, for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. So 
what we learn there, what Paul teaches us in Romans 13, 3 through 5, is that God uses those in authority to serve and protect us. Now, I want to change gears here. We've been talking about when the law comes down and we, as a matter of conscience or a matter of obeying God's word, we have to be civilly disobedient. Let's just put that aside now and talk about when the law isn't that. For example, when a police officer asks you to pull your car over and you're thinking, I didn't do anything wrong. You don't want to jump in your white Ford Bronco and start driving down Route 80, do you? No, you pull over and you obey the police. When you cop an attitude and all of a sudden you're you know, screaming and cursing at a police officer, you know, listen, I think part of the problem, first of all, you need to know that, like, my brother's a police officer, okay? So uh, my uncle is a federal agent. Now he's retired. Uh, I, I have the utmost respect for those that serve and protect, okay? Doesn't mean they're always right, but if they're serving us and protecting us, then we should always show them that level of respect. Now, I think there's a whole segment of our society today, especially in certain urban areas, that don't believe that. And that's wrong. And if those individuals are Christians, it's a sin against God because God's word tells us not to do that. We're supposed to support police. We're supposed to support them. And even if they're wrong, even if they make mistakes, as officers of the law, they are worthy of our respect. And we've just read what Paul said about that specifically. We need not fear our authority if we obey the law. I remember as a kid, if we were driving around up to no good, me and my friends, and we saw a police officer, we all flinched. We were all nervous because we were up to no good. But you know, now if I see a police officer, I'm not worried if he pulls me over. I'm not doing anything wrong. Plus, I got one of those little cards from my brother. But that's another Bible study. No, no. If I get pulled over, I accept the fact that these are the people who are called to serve and protect us. We should show them that level of respect. And, you know, obeying the law is the responsibility of every member of our society. Again, we're not talking about laws that violate our conscience or laws that violate the Word of God, just the law. Like, things that, that they, they pass that, you know, we may not agree with all the time, but, you know, that's the law. The law says you can't do this, or the law says you've you got to stop at a red light, right? Now, we can all say that makes sense. Although some people don't seem to think it does. Some people don't seem to think you should use your blinker. Some people don't seem to think it's a problem to drive like maniacs. You know, over here on Route 21, if you've ever seen any of the Fast and Furious movies, okay, it's reenacted nightly here on Route 21. And I'm not sure why that particular highway, but going back to my dad's age when he was a kid, he told me they used to drag race on Route 21. And it's still happening now. Now, clearly that's wrong, and you're breaking the law. And, you know, when I look at that, I think to myself, that is so dangerous. I can't tell you over the last 20 years how often I've seen cars completely mangled because of it. Very dangerous road. If you can avoid it, you're better, better off. So I say that because those that despise authority are not responding properly to God's order. And those that rebel against it are actually disobeying God's word. Well, I, as Sammy Hagar said, I can't drive 55. Well, then you're going to get a big fat ticket. And if you go really fast, you might get arrested. So we need to respect our authority. We need, we need to uh, respect. We don't need to fear authority if we're doing what's right, right, if we're obeying the law. But we need to respect our authority because they are serving God's purposes. Police officers, military, those that serve and protect us, are serving God's purposes. And when people disrespect those that serve God's purposes, they're disrespecting God and his word. There is no justification for being anti-police. Oh, Pastor Tim, but sometimes, yes, sometimes it's true. Individuals do violate the law as servants of the law, and they're punished by the law. But as an institution, if you're anti-police, you're anti-God's word and God's order of things. I don't even have to hesitate to say that because God's word makes it clear. That's why I'm taking the time to go through this. Again, it doesn't mean they're always right. It doesn't mean they don't break the law themselves, but I was just uh, reading an article briefly today where there were some police officers who were in cahoots with the cartel, the drug cartels. I think it was down in Florida. I'm not sure. And uh, they thought they were protecting the cartel and you know they were going to get a payoff. It was the FBI. And boy, was I happy to hear that. 
So, you know, let's just keep that in mind as, we, as it relates to law enforcement specifically. They protect us and our rights when we do good. And they bring justice and punishment when we do wrong. You know, if someone were to steal your car, we have, Michelle and I had one, one of our cars many years ago stolen. And, you know, you want that person to be brought to justice, don't you? God forbid someone breaks into your home. God forbid someone leaves the scene of an accident. I had that happen to me a couple of years back. I was quick enough to write down the license plate, and then I went to court, and I was very happy to stand there and point out that's the guy. So, you know, we want justice. We, we want punishment when people do wrong. Well, then you have to respect law enforcement because they bring justice. They bring punishment when, when people violate the law. They maintain order in our society and they bring peace. The, the problem today when we talk about defunding the police or we talk about disrespecting the police, no one wants to live in a city where every other night they're burning down stores and businesses. But some of these crazy Local governments tie the hands of the police. And then no one wants it. You don't want to live in a neighborhood where the police can't do their job, do you? It's funny. People are anti-police until they need a police officer. Right? Everybody's anti- oh, 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 yeah. And then something happens. Call the police. Yeah, okay. That's how it works, huh? I almost said morons, but I won't. So, you know, when I see this, I realize... They maintain that order, and we want that order, and it's a godly thing. We need to live a life of submission, motiv- uh, submission motivated by our conscience, in verse 5. Motivated by what we know is right. Listen, even when you get a speeding ticket, you don't want to get one, and you know you were speeding, you have to at least admit, as a matter of conscience, you deserve the ticket, right? I mean, you have to admit that. You're not happy about it. Nobody is. I remember one, one friend of mine... Uh, they got a, a speeding ticket, uh, and their argument was, oh, it was a speed trap. You know, it was a trap. Okay, but you were speeding, right? You know? So we need to live a life of submission, vote, motivated by our conscience, because a society without moral conscience is a society without government, and then you'd be living among the barbarians again. And you don't want to do that. Believe me, you don't. Self-government. Self-government is what the founders talked a lot about. Self-government is the bedrock of all free societies. And it basically means you have to govern yourself in order for all of this to work. What we've seen, especially over the last few months, over this last year, is people not exercising any form of self-government. It's called anarchy. And there's been a lot of it with Antifa, BLM, other movements. This, this anarchist movement is the idea is they don't believe there should be any laws whatsoever. That is not godly. And that's not God's word or God's purpose. And nobody wants to live in a society where anybody can do anything they want in the name of freedom. That's not freedom. Nothing close to it. So isn't it interesting? We look at this and we say, well, there's freedom in having law and order. And that's what we're learning here and what Paul talks about. If we are unwilling to obey authority, we'll inherit government without conscience. Did you hear what I said? If we're unwilling to obey authority, we'll inherit government without conscience. And we want a government that has conscience. We do that. We do want that. Okay, so finally in this last section, and we'll get back to our text, in Romans 13, verses 6 and 7, this is interesting, and I mentioned it briefly before, In verse 6, it says, this is also why you pay taxes. A very timely message, right? Because I was just looking at my calendar and realizing, although I think they're going to move the the due date for filing your taxes this year uh, for for whatever reason, uh, and that's fine, you know. But um, I was looking at my calendar and said, hey, I got to sit down and do my taxes, you know. Uh, This is also why you pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants, even the IRS, who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. And if respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So you honor the agents of the law, the officers of the law. You respect the courts and respect them. And you pay your taxes if you owe them. You pay your revenues if you owe them. It's that simple. If you're not trying to get away with anything, there's no problem there. Just do what you're supposed to do. And yes, that's biblical. I just read it from Romans 13. It's biblical to pay your taxes. So when people say, well, I have a matter of conscience. Okay, that's great. But just understand, you're not on good theological grounds. 
to not pay your taxes. And there are some people that don't. Uh, I'm trying to think. I think at one point the Amish may have had a situation where they didn't believe in paying taxes because uh, they're very much against war, okay? And I, I respect that. They're pacifists. You know, they, uh, what do they call non-resistant? And uh, so they, they were not paying their taxes. I don't know how they resolved that. I don't know ultimately what happened. But some of them looked at the budget and say, they spend this much on defense. I'm only going to pay this percentage so that the other percentage doesn't go to the military. And um, I understand that was their conscience, but that's not theological. You can't do that because the Bible makes it clear we're supposed to pay our taxes. Okay? This is our legal and our social responsibility to support our government even when we have some crazy government, okay? As citizens, these agents of the law, they serve us. Therefore, we must provide for them. When we complain about taxes, we are really grumbling about God's provision. We can hold them accountable for how they govern, but they must govern. They must. It's not only our legal and social responsibility, it's our moral responsibility. We owe our authority, income, sales and other taxes to the government. Paying them is not optional. It's the law. And not paying is stealing. And I think we all know that's sin, right? Not paying is stealing from the authority. We are required to honor and respect. So Christians should never be guilty of living a life of rebellion by sinning in this way. And that's really pretty much all that Paul has to say on the subject. So if you want God's blessing in your life and in our society, you have to live a life of submission. And that's what we're talking about here, submission. And that's, that's, as it relates to the government, that's what it looks like, according to Paul. Now let's go back to our text. Peter only had two verses on it, but I really wanted to break that down because it's hard to just say submit to the government, and then the government comes out and says, well, you can't read your Bible. Well, we know better. But in general, there's no good reason to be disrespectful to law enforcement. So we do this because, or for the Lord's sake, That's what Peter told us in verses 13 through 14. That's the first principle and the longest. We do this for the Lord's sake. Now, we also do this because it's God's will. We've touched on this already. We do this because it is God's will. We live our lives in such a way that people respect the word of God. We so let our our light shine before men that they see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. So that's, that's the goal. And now we read in verse 15, back in our text in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, for it is God's will. So it's not just a matter of for the Lord's sake, it's actually God's will. It is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. There's a lot of ignorant talk and there's a lot of foolish men and women out there. And the best way to silence them, not cancel them, but silence them, is by doing good. You see, here's the problem. The the enemies of, of law and order do wrong in order to try to silence people they don't agree with. You understand? They'll sucker punch somebody because they don't like the way they look or the hat they're wearing. We as Christians, our approach is is completely different. You understand? It says it is God's will that By doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. You are called to silence the talk of ignorant and foolish men. You are, but by doing good. So if you go on a tirade online, on Twitter, and use all kinds of foul language, and you say, well, I was right, and they're wrong, and they're foolish and ignorant, that doesn't justify doing evil. It's only by doing good that we can silence foolish and ignorant talk, okay? Or as it says here, the ignorant talk of foolish men. I think that's important because I do want to silence them, but by doing good and preaching the word of God, not by resorting to carnal means or fleshly means in order to shut them up. I wouldn't support a law that said that an evil organization can't say what they believe. Like, I'm, I would never support the KKK. I would never support BLM. I would never support Antifa. Um, I would never support any of those organizations or QAnon or any of these far-right white supremacy-type organizations. However, however, having said that, we can silence them by doing good. 
And fortunately, we still live in a country where we have free speech. That's eroding rapidly. But I wouldn't support a law to take away free speech just because I disagree with it. Rather, we should do good to silence foolish talk. It is foolish talk. It's ignorant. But that's the way we're supposed to deal with it. I love this. This is a great framework, especially in the day in which we live. God desires it. It's his will. He desires that we should do the right thing and let our actions speak for themselves. They were called to influence their enemies through good works. We we looked at that, and we already read that verse in verse uh, 12 of this chapter. Now, some believed, some within that culture believed that they were revolutionaries trying to replace Caesar as Lord. That's what we're seeing addressed here. Next week and the week after that, we'll see that some believe that they were inciting slaves to rebel against their masters. We'll deal with that next week. And then in two weeks, some believe that they were encouraging their wives to rebel against their husbands. That's what they were being accused of. So what Peter is doing is he's addressing these issues one by one. He's saying, look, 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 we're not revolutionaries. We're not inciting a slave rebellion. And we're not telling wives to rebel against their husbands. We're not trying to break up families. But those were the charges that were levied against the Christians of the first century, okay? And that's why Peter's addressing it. We're only looking at one of those three issues tonight. But we're called to influence our enemies through good works. You, you guys know who Plato is, okay? A slandered Plato, is a Greek philosopher, a slandered Plato said, I will live my life in such a way that no one will believe what anyone says against me. Just live your life the right way, and people aren't going to believe what others say when they slander you. You know, they're not going to believe it. Now, we do this because it is God's will. We do this for the Lord's sake, but finally, we do this because we are God's servants. We do this because we are God's servants. That's why we obey. That's why we submit to the government, because we're God's servants. Look at verses 16 through 17. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up, notice, as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Now, that's a great outline to follow. It really helps us to understand how we're to behave in this day and age. It really, it really is very helpful. We do this because we are God's servants. By the, word, by the way, the word for servants is, is the same as slaves. So on the subject of slavery, he says, you're God's slave, you're God's servant. Those that are blessed with political freedom, which we are, must be willing to surrender that freedom to God's service. Just because the law says something is is okay to do doesn't mean we do it. We're free, but we're not free to sin. So let's say the law says you're free to do a particular thing, a particular sin, but you know it's sin. You're not free to do that. You're God's servant. We know that. We know better than that. So we have political freedom, but those that are blessed with political freedom must surrender that freedom to God's services. Many of Peter's readers were slaves. They didn't have any freedom whatsoever. But even slaves can live as men who are free in Christ. Some of his readers were free men, citizens, but even free men must live as slaves to Christ. So there's a degree of service and freedom that we all experience in Christ. Paul taught that slaves are free in Christ and that free men are Christ's slaves in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So understand that. There's a limit to our freedom as Christians, and we are all God's servants. Now, Augustine famously said regarding Christian freedom, love God and do what you like. Love God and do what you like. If you love God, you're not going to do something or want to do something that violates God's word. And I think that's great. We have all the freedom in the world. All things are lawful to me, Paul said. But not everything's permissible. Not everything's edifying. But I can do whatever I want. I just don't want to do some of the things that others in the world want to do. So I think that's great. And finally, God's servants must willingly give up their own rights to honor the rights of others. Just because you have a right to do something doesn't make it right. I often think about suing. You can sue anyone in a court of law for just about anything. You don't even have to have a a legitimate reason. You can bring someone to court. Is it always right to do that? 
Well, according to the scriptures, if it's another Christian, you're supposed to settle it out of court if you can. But if you can, and it's, the person's not a Christian, is it always right to go to court? No. Yeah, but I have a right. Yeah, you have a right, but is it right? You know, a lot of times people have frivolous lawsuits, and they make out really well on these lawsuits. They think, oh, you know, Christians, oh, well, you know, the insurance company's going to pay. That doesn't make it right. And you do damage to your society. Why do you think your rates go up? I worked for an insurance company for 20 years. Rates go up because, not because of, uh, like, for example, in cars, the physical damage of a vehicle is no big deal. I mean, if a vehicle is worth $100,000 and, and, and you lose the car, it's not that big a deal for an insurance company to pay out that claim. It's the liability. That's where insurance companies get killed because people abuse the system. So you go to get an insurance policy and your liability is through the roof and you complain. But people, when they have the opportunity, sue like crazy and they wonder why the insurance rates go up. I'm not defending insurance companies, but I work for one. I'll tell you, the rates go up for a reason. We complain about health insurance and there's so much fraud among health insurance, right? So it's like you, you can't abuse the system and then complain that the system doesn't work. So here's what I know. God's servants, God's servants must willingly give up their own rights to honor the rights of others. You know, they never use their freedom in Christ as an excuse to break laws or to do something evil. We looked at it there already. It says, uh, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for, for evil and live as servants of God. You know, you have to take that approach. And God's servants not only never use their freedom as an excuse to break laws or do something evil, they show respect for everyone. I've learned this as a way of life. Today I was uh, heading on out to run some errands, and they were cutting down to the, you know, I guess it was the power companies, they were cutting down some trees that were tangled up in the wires on the other side of my street. And I noticed that some of the debris had fallen on my uh, sidewalk. And I knew in my heart they weren't going to pick it up. And then that meant I'd have to go out and pick it up and, and be very upset about that. So as I was driving past, I rolled down my window and I said, sir, excuse me. I said, uh, I noticed some of the debris, you know, as I'm driving past, I noticed some of the debris fell on my sidewalk. Uh, would you guys mind making sure it gets picked up? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're still cleaning up. I said, thank you very much. Okay? And it got picked up. And I'm glad for that. I don't think it would have gotten picked up if I didn't say something. But regardless, I was polite. I was nice. When I go to the supermarket and somebody's nasty, I try to be nice to them. I was at the Costco the other day, and this is what it means to show respect for everyone. And the guy behind me, you know, it's not the cashier's fault. They're trying to take care of something, and all he's doing the whole time is going, I I wanted so bad I want to turn and say, if you don't like the line you're on, there's 12 other lines. But I ignored him. And just showed respect. But he wasn't showing respect for the cashier or me or the person in front of me. All he was doing was huffing and puffing. Think about your actions. You're a representative of Christ. You're God's servant. Here's what we need to do. We need to be willing to, to you know, put those things aside. Show respect for everyone. Notice what it says here in verse 17. Show proper respect to only the people you like. No, to everyone. Everyone. And it goes on to say this. Love the brotherhood of believers. Now, see, I may not be able to love everyone. God loves everyone. But I may not be able to love legitimately. Oh, I love everyone. No, you don't. Come on, there's some people you don't like. A lot, right? But I can show respect to everyone. And that's a kind of love. But I can show respect to everyone. But when it comes to the believers, the family of believers, as it describes here, the brotherhood of believers, it says love the brotherhood of believers. So respect everyone, but love the brotherhood of believers. They were to love their brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, this included, at that time, respect for the 60 million slaves in the empire at that time, showing respect for them. You know what I find? They may eventually, I don't know if this will actually happen, but they may eventually eliminate all racism You know, there may come a point when people don't see color and they don't see ethnic backgrounds, but you know something? I'm convinced there'll always be something and some reason for someone not to like someone else. You know, I had an interesting experience because growing up in the 60s and the 70s, you know, racism was a thing. I mean, it still is to a degree, but it was nothing today. It's nothing today like it was then. And I can speak from experience, uh, not being a racist, but being around people who are, 
very racist in some of the things they said. And I uh, grew up here in East Rutherford, not far from here, a couple miles away. And uh, we moved to Montclair. And Montclair was, uh, is very much a progressive town. It's very uh, much open to the idea of interracial relationships. And it was even back in the 80s. And uh, it was really great. And I thought, wow, this is such an open-minded, wonderful place to be. But then I found out that you were discriminated based on your income. Now, this was just my experience, okay? I'm not indicting all Montclairians. I'm just saying that I noticed that, okay, now it no longer mattered what color you were. It just mattered how rich your daddy was. Men and women will always find a reason to discriminate against someone else or to be prejudiced, okay? That's just human nature, but we're better than that. We were bought at a price. We belong to Jesus Christ. We're his servants. And they were the same, and they were supposed to show respect even to slaves. This included unconditional love for people that were considered mere things. Many of their brothers and sisters were slaves. You know, certain parts of the world have a caste system, where just because of your name and your heritage and your family, you're, you're viewed as more or less valuable than someone else. It's wrong. And we're told that here. Respect everyone. Love, as it says, love the brotherhood of believers. And then it says, fear God, honor the king. These, these last two imperatives are great. Fear God, honor the king. And it's put in the right order. It's not honor the king and fear God. It's fear God and honor the king. When I think of Daniel, when I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think these words ring true. You see, the Christians of the first century, the heroes of the Old Testament, us as well, we reverence God first and foremost, but we honor our civil authority as well. And when our civil authority doesn't honor God, we're not going to disobey God. But I think it is possible, in this order, under those restrictions, it is possible to fear God and honor the king. And so we have a wonderful exhortation from God's word on submission. I've told you why Peter wrote it and how it was incredibly uh, important at that time to write this portion of this letter to communicate to the believers that they were there to influence their world, not to be in conflict, unnecessary conflict with the world. I think it serves us well to consider these things today. I'm going to ask uh, Anthony to come up to close us with the last song, but let's pray. Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us wonderful guidelines, very practical guidelines. It's really easy in this wicked world today to justify us being rebellious. And indeed, there are times, Lord, where we may need to obey you and disobey the authorities. But general, Lord, give us, give us the ability to be your servants, to live in such a way where we honor you, but we honor you, we fear you first, and then because it's your will and because, uh, because you've called us to and, be, and, and because it really is uh, something that as servants we should do for your sake, help us to submit to our governing authorities, to honor law enforcement, to honor those that serve us, to be good examples to all those, around, uh, all those that are around us, and uh, to reach the world through respect and through love as you've called us to do. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.